Well, good morning again. Uh, it's great. It's, thank you. Uh, it's great to be with y'all this morning. It really is great to see so many folks here. It's great to see the room packed with people. It, it always makes me laugh, though. No matter how packed the room is, uh, there's still a lot of seats on the front row. You know, everybody's kind of <laughs> scared to sit up front, or maybe they think it's the splash zone, you know, while I'm preaching. Um, but uh, it is great to be with y'all this morning. I'm really excited to be with you. I'm really excited about this this series that we're doing. This is the second week, as I mentioned earlier, this this, uh, this Lent series that we're doing, and it's called Life in the Wild. Uh, every year we choose a word that goes along with our vision statement, which is sharing life together in Christ. Uh, and we, we, we pray and we discern, like, what is that word for our, our one word for the year to sort of help us stay focused and to guide us uh, in, in what we do and, and how we sort of operate, how we share life together in Christ. And so uh, the word that as the staff and I gathered and we prayed about it, uh, the word was life uh, for this year. And so that's kind of the focus for us. What does it look like for us to, uh, to be uh, life-giving, to, to focus on the life of Christ and allow the life of Christ to, to flow through us? That's kind of our hope and our prayer and our goal. And so, um, so our first series that we did this year in January was called Life Goals. And so now we move to our second series, and it's called Life in the Wild. And uh, it's based on this book. I mentioned it last week. It's based on this book by Dan Wilt called Jesus in the Wild. And uh, it's a really great devotional book. If you're interested in getting a copy, I'd love to help you get connected to it. Uh, but I shared this book with you last week, but I didn't share with you. There's a little subtitle uh, that says what the book is about. And I want to read that for you today because that's important, and, and it kind of goes along with the the message for today, the, the subtitle of the book is Lessons on Calling for Life in the World, okay? So, so last week we talked about the call of the wild, and this week we're talking about the call, our call in the world. Well, last week we looked at kind of the lessons that we can learn in the wilderness when we come face to face with, with who we are and, and who God is and who God is calling us to be. We learn to embrace uh, our identity in Christ, our belovedness with God and, and our purpose, why, why we're here, who we are, whose we are, why we're, we're here in this place. Uh, the wilderness is this place where we come face to face with our own fallen humanness so that we can embrace our identity in Christ. We come face to face with our own brokenness so that we can learn how to embrace our belovedness. We, we come face to face with our own striving for things like power and position and possessions so that we can embrace our need to receive the gift of purpose that flows from God's provision in our life. That's what, that's what the call of the wild is all about. But see, God pro provides for us in the wilderness in order to prepare us to go back into the world. So the call of the wild is about our call in the world. Does that make sense? Uh, I want to give you just a little sticky phrase that kind of summarizes what we're going to talk about today, and it's it's in your your sermon notes. If you got them, uh, I'd love for you to look at it. this little phrase. It's right below the scripture. It's going to be on the screen as well. In fact, I'm going to read it once, and then I'd like for you to read it with me. Okay, so so that little phrase today is this: We have to lean in to the call of the wild in order to live out our call in the world. Read that with me. We have to lean into the call of the wild in order to live out our call in the world. So 
So last week I asked you to think about and pray about a few questions. What are we willing to face as we walk through the wilderness and what do we need to embrace as we walk back into the world? Uh, and so, so basically this is what it looks like. Uh, we wrestle with those questions. Those are the questions that we wrestle with in the wilderness as we learn to lean into the call of the wild. That call is the call of God that reminds us of who we are and whose we are and why we're here. But, but those lessons that we learn, that voice that we hear in the wilderness is, is preparing us for life back in the world, for us to live out that call in the world. So the question I want to ask you this morning, I want to start with is this, what is your call in the world? What does that look like for you? And before we go any further, I just, I just want to acknowledge, I'm willing to bet that as soon as I asked that question, what is your call in the world? That made, that made a lot of you uncomfortable. In fact, you might, you might have been tempted to think, you know what, this message is not for me. This is for, for those super Christians uh, or those Christians that have uh, special gifts and graces for what we call ministry in the church. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but I wonder if maybe that's where, where your mind went. And I wanna tell you this, if, if that is where your mind went and that is what you thought, that's okay. It, it, it's not your fault. It's actually my fault. It, not just me, but, but me as in leaders of the church. And not, not this church, but the big C church. See, see, what I think is we've sort of done a, done a bad job of, of talking about calling when we talk about it in the church uh, or asking this question in the church and offering people opportunities to answer it. What I mean by that is when we ask the question, we've almost always asked it within the context of like full-time work in the church or needs within the church. Uh, and to make matters worse, we, we usually, the only people that talk about calling uh, or the people that we ask to speak are people like me who are in full-time ministry in the church or who are serving in ministries in the church. And so, so what I think is that our explanation of, of calling has too often been defined in terms that are uh, occupational or institutional instead of vocational and relational. Does that make sense? And so the result of that is well, most people hear those words about calling and they think, well, my gifts and graces and my calling doesn't fit into that box. And so, so I guess God isn't calling me at all. And what I wanna tell you today is that couldn't be further from the truth. So, so as we talk about calling for the next few minutes, I want you to, I wanna ask you to resist the temptation to think this is not for me because I believe it is. I believe calling is for all of us. The truth is that God is calling all of us whether we realize it or not. And so the question isn't if God is calling or who God is calling. And, and, and the question isn't what is God calling me to do necessarily. But I think the real question that that we need to think about today is, is this, and this is a question that we can all wrestle with. Who is God calling me to be? Now, God is definitely calling us to be people who do things, 
right? So it's not, it's not that we're not called to do things, but, but see, our doing is never as important as our being. And if we try to, to figure out our, our purpose without understanding our identity and our belovedness, then it just becomes like everything else where it's this striving and, and having to produce something. So what I want you to hear today is that calling isn't necessarily occupational or institutional. It's, it's vocational. It's, it's always relational. Our calling flows from our relationship with God and, and how we get to live that out in the world by just being who God created and called us to be. That, that's, what, that's what calling is all about. Uh, there's an author by the name of Frederick Beekner, and he has these, this great quote. I think he says it best like this. He says, there are all different kinds of voices calling you to all different kinds of work. And the problem is to find out which is the voice of God rather than of society, say, or the superego or, or self-interest. He says, by and large, a good rule for finding out is this. The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that A, you need most to do, and B, that the world most needs to have done. And, and then he says, this is his most famous quote. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I love that. See, that, that's, that doesn't have anything to do with occupation or institution. It has everything to do with, with vocation, with, with relationship with God. That the God who loves us would call us by name and, and give us opportunities to live that out in the world that he created. That's, that's what calling is all about. And when we, when we discover that, then, then I think that's when we can really become fully alive uh, to what God's plan and provision and purpose is in our life. And, and I think that's, in, in a way, what Jesus wrestled with in the wilderness that prepared him for life in the world. I wanna read this passage of scripture again for you that we read last week. We're gonna read it uh, over the course of this series again and again, and I hope it just becomes so familiar with you uh, the story of Jesus in the wilderness. This is Luke chapter four, verses one through 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I'll give you all of their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, I can give it to whoever I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it's written, worship the Lord and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered again, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I want you to remember that part right there. That's not the end of the story, right? He tempted him, but then he left him until an opportune time. So the, the core of, 
of the devil's temptations for Jesus. He was attacking Jesus' understanding of his identity, his understanding of his belovedness, his understanding of his purpose in the world. And we talked about last week how this story is, is right in between two other stories. It's, it's in, in between his baptism story and then his beginning of his, his ministry, his, his full-time uh, public ministry in the world. And so I think what happened here was preparing Jesus. What happened in the wild was preparing Jesus for what would happen in the world. And, and so I want to uh, just kind of unpack three specific things today that I think happened here. Number one, uh, the call of the wild for Jesus, it solidifies his, his sense of identity as the son of God. And this would be crucial for Jesus because his identity would be called into question over and over again throughout his life. In ministry. We see it almost immediately after he leaves the wild and goes back into the world. The first place that he goes, do you know where he goes? He goes back to his hometown in Nazareth. And, and he stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, the, the, the prophecy that told about the one who was coming, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then it says he rolls up the scroll and he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled today in, in, in your hearing. He's basically saying, this is about me. And do you know what, what the people in his hometown say? Isn't that Joseph's son? Wasn't that that little carpenter's boy that just kind of ran around and, uh, as, a, as a little child here in Nazareth? Like, how, how could this possibly be who that is, right? It challenged his identity. And over and over again, through, through Jesus' ministry, people question his identity. There's a point in the Gospels where Jesus is with his disciples and he, he poses the question. He says, who do you say that I am? Do you remember that? And even among the disciples, there's confusion and chaos and conflicting reports. Some say this, some say that. Can you imagine what a shock to his system it might have been if he hadn't settled the issue of who he was as the son of God in, in listening to the call of the wild? Jesus had com complete confidence in who he was, even amidst all the questions, because he knew that he was living out in the world the call of the wild that he had learned in the wilderness. And the second thing was about Jesus' belovedness. His belovedness would, would be, be called into question so many times as he sought to live out his call in the world. He would be called so many names over the course of three years by these folks that that were called the religious leaders of God's chosen people, Israel. He would be called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and it wasn't a compliment when they said that. He was called a blasphemer. He was accused of being in league with the devil. Uh, even as Jesus hung on the cross, there were people that were mocking him and telling him that he was forsaken by God that God didn't love him or care about him, right? Uh, he even poses the question while he's on the cross, he's quoting the Psalms and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are there times where we feel forsaken by God? and We don't have anything else to lean on but, but that, that voice that we maybe heard in the wilderness that reminds us that we're beloved, even Jesus Ask that question, but even in the midst of that question, he's, he's showing that he believes that he belongs to God and, and God is his God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with us questioning and having doubts and wrestling, especially when we're in difficult situations and we're going through seasons of suffering. But what I always encourage people is, is take those things to God. That's what the Psalms are all about. It's about us bringing our pain, bringing our suffering, bringing our questions to God. God isn't intimidated by the question, why? But he wants us to come to him with it because we're his beloved. And that's what we see here on the cross. There was complete confidence even in the questions because Jesus knew that he was living out in the world the call of the wild that he learned in the wilderness. The last thing that Jesus happened to Jesus in the wild, the call of the wild for Jesus, it, it fortifies his purpose as the son of God. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was beloved by God and he knew why he was called to be on this earth. This purpose, again, it's important leaning into the call of the wild because it allowed him to live it out, his call in the world. His purpose was called into question over and over and over again. It still is. And I think the most powerful picture of this was when we find Jesus being tempted once again, not in the wilderness, but this time in the garden. Now, now the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about that struggle that's going on. But if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it, it has a really interesting way of, of sort of uh, describing what might have happened on that night. That same character who tempted Jesus in the wilderness comes again to Jesus in the garden. So this may be that opportune time that the devil uh, came to tempt Jesus when he was again hungry, he was tired, he was in a, a weak and fragile place. But it was just before he would go to the cross to fulfill the, the prophecy, to fully express his identity as the Messiah, the Savior, the beloved Son of God. To die for our sins and to rise again so that we might have life in him. This was a crucial moment in the story. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it was, it was the wilderness. It fits the definition of wilderness that we talked about last week. Do you remember the, the Greek word, eremos, deserted, desolate, solitary, lonely, quiet, isolated? It was there that I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jesus started hearing the, those voices, the, that the questioning. Is this really who God says that you are? Does God really love you? Is this really what God's calling you to do? Jesus wrestled in the garden. It said so much that his, his drops of sweat were like drops of blood. But see, I believe that amidst all the other voices, Jesus heard one voice above all the others. It was the voice of the one that he heard who spoke to him at his baptism, who said, this is my son who I love in him. I'm well pleased. It was the voice of the one that he heard speaking in the wilderness, the one that he heard over and over again as he retreated to those lonely places to pray and to listen to God throughout his life and ministry, to be reminded of the call of the wild. That voice, the voice of God, 
spoke louder than all the other voices that reminded Jesus of who he was and whose he was and why he was sent to this world. So that he could say those words that, that basically uh, resolved redemption for us once and for all. He said, not my will, but yours be done. See, I believe that, that it's very difficult for us to, to say yes to doing what we feel like God's calling us to do unless we believe that, that God loves us unconditionally, that God cares about us deeply, that God has created us uniquely. Without that foundation, it's very difficult for us to step out to do anything. But if we believe that we are God's beloved, if we believe that we're created in his image and we're created uniquely for purpose, a purpose that only we can fill, then it's from that place that we can step out in faith and, and do what God's calling us to do as an expression of whose God is calling us to be. It's that phrase, we have to lean into the call of the wild in order to live out our call in the world. Does that make sense? So, so in, as we kind of bring this together today, I just want to ask you to, to think about that question again. What is your call in the world? What does that look like? I, I wonder if there are places in your life right now where, where you're trying to, to figure that out. You're trying to, to live out your call in the world without listening to the call of the wild. And I wonder what difference it would make if you took some time to really listen to what God has to say about who you are and how loved you are and how God wants to share that love, not just with you, but with those around you, through you. I wonder if maybe as we come to the table today and as we spend some time in reflection today and in the days ahead during the season of, of Lynn, if, you'll, if you'd be willing to, to wrestle with that a little bit and ask God to reveal to you what that looks like in your life. As you do that, I wanna just remind you that the, the call wasn't just for, for, for the disciples. It isn't just for pastors and missionaries and ministry leaders. It's for you and it's for me. And it's not what God wants from us. It's what God wants for us. It's not what God wants us to do necessarily. It's who God wants us to be as an expression of our relationship with him. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to be that reflects who I am as a beloved child of God created in God's image for a purpose. And it's not just for me. It's for those around me. It's for the sake of my spouse or my kids or my neighbors, my, my coworkers. Have you ever thought about calling like that before? Would you be willing to consider it today? Who is God calling you to be? And how might you live that out in the world? It, it may sound something like this. I, I feel like God has given me uh, a desire, a heart to care for others because that's who I am and that's a reflection of whose I am. That's my relationship with God. I've, I've been cared for by God. I've been comforted by God and I wanna care and comfort others. So, so how can I discover opportunities to live that out in the world? 
Or, or how am I already doing that, maybe? Um, maybe with my kids, my parents. The, uh, maybe it's a ministry or an organization that I'm part of. Maybe you're already living that out, and maybe you just need to see how you can connect those activities with, with God's purpose. Maybe it sounds like this. God, God's given me a heart, a passion for, for uh, in, injustice. I sense the Spirit leading me to places where I can make a difference in the lives of people who've been mistreated or, or marginalized. How, so, so how can I discover opportunities to live out that calling in the world? Or maybe it sounds like this. God has given me a mind to understand big concepts or ideas, and I love sharing those thoughts with others. How, how can I discover some opportunities to, to live that out in the world? I want to invite you, wherever you are this morning, to just think about that. How has God uniquely created you, and how, how might that be connected to what God is calling you to do as, as an expression of who God has created you to be? Every person is a unique expression of God's love for the world. God created you to share his love with the world in a way that only you can. And that way, I believe, is what we would call calling. But it's, it flows from your relationship with God. We've talked about this a few times before. You can't share what you don't have, right? For us to truly express God's love, we have to ex have experienced God's love for ourselves. And again, that's one of the reasons why I'm so thankful that we come to the table to be reminded of who we are and whose we are and why we're here. We're reminded when we come to the table and we confess our sins that we are, we are sons and daughters created in the image of God, but that we have fallen short of the glory of God and we're in need of God's grace. And our God who loves us so much is so anxious to, to give it to us when we ask for it. So today, when we come to the table, I want you to be reminded of who you are and who we are and who we're called to be. Not only, once, we, once we confess our sins and once we hear those words of forgiveness, we discover our purpose. There's a prayer that I pray when we come to communion where I say, Lord, Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's who we are. So I want to invite you to join me as we just acknowledge that before God. This is, uh, this, is, this is a table, this is Christ's table. It's not mine, it's not fellowship, it's not a United Methodist. This is Christ's table. And he invites all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with God and one another to come and receive this gift of grace so that we might be filled with the grace of God to go and, and share it as the body of Christ in the world. So let's prepare our hearts and minds for worship and, and to receive this meal today. And let's, let's pray silently together, confessing those sins. God, we do come before you today, giving thanks to you for you have loved us with an everlasting love. You created us in your image, Lord. You've created this world for us to live in. 
And God, we also acknowledge that that as human beings and as individuals, we have fallen short of your glory. That we have not loved you or our neighbor the way that you called us to. That we've done things we wish we hadn't and we've not done things we wish we had. And so we just acknowledge that before you today, Lord. We acknowledge that we stand in, in need of your grace. And we thank you that you love us so much that even before we knew how to respond, you were pouring grace out into our lives and into this world. And Lord, we thank you that as we can come and respond to you now, that we ask for, for your grace and forgiveness and mercy and you long to give it to us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that proves your love for us. We thank you for the good news of God's grace that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And we give thanks to you for that, God. We thank you that we can not only approach your throne of grace with confidence, but we can approach this table today knowing that we will receive grace upon grace upon grace because of your great love for us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. On the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke that bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body that was broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup and he again gave thanks to God and gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So God, I pray right now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice, that you would make them be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. And so with the confidence of children of God, we pray the prayer together that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna invite our uh, communion servers to come forward and take their positions once they get in place, you're gonna be invited to come and receive this gift of grace this morning. Uh, there'll be stations to my right and to my left. Uh, there's also uh, packets if you would prefer having those. They're on the ends over here and there's also gluten-free options in the middle. Um, you'll come forward with the guidance of the ushers. You'll receive a piece of bread and hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you. You'll receive a piece, uh, cup of juice and hear the words, the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, when you've received the elements, you're invited, you can, you can throw your trash in one of the baskets, but you're also invited to come to the altar and pray if you'd like to come and pray. You can stay as long as you like. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, uh, be more than happy to do that. We're gonna worship together as we 
uh, as we close today. I just want to invite you again as we come and, and participate in communion, as we worship together, as our service comes to a close, to continue asking God to just remind you, number one, of how much he loves you. And let, let everything flow from that. If you could resolve that today, that God loves you, that Christ died for you, that God wants to work in and through you through the power of his Holy Spirit so that you might experience life, so that those around you might experience life. And that's enough. You don't have to worry about what's God calling me to do or what this or that. If you can, if you can just resolve that today to know that you are God's beloved, then you're in good shape. You're in a good place open to what God might want to do next. So if that's you today, take a step of faith. Maybe it looks like coming forward and receiving this means of grace. Maybe it looks like coming forward and, and praying at the altar or maybe having a conversation with someone after that. Whatever it looks like, I just want to invite you to allow God, that voice of God to speak louder than any of the other voices this morning and that you would be willing to respond to that voice of love in whatever way that voice is calling you. I wanna say one more prayer for you and then you're invited to come. God, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus to demonstrate that love to us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you have chosen not just to dwell with us and among us, but that in us and through us for the purpose of life, life abundant, life eternal, life together. God, we thank you for the great gift of life and love. Help us to receive it today so that we might share it with others. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Would you come?